today we are sending some of our strongest disciples and some of our strongest disciple makers to go on the mission field to work among the least and the last and the lost. So for those of you who are visiting today and you're unaware, we have a family, the Vances. Christian has been on staff with us. Christian and Elena and their two boys, Isaiah and Micah, have been part of this church for many years, almost since the beginning. And they are moving to New York City with an organization called International Project, which is a domestic mission agency. But they're going to be in Queens. Specifically, they're going to start in Jackson Heights. And you have to realize that this is one of the most diverse places on the planet. And so, you know, often you think that you have to move across the other side of the globe in order to share the gospel with someone who has never heard it. But that's really not the case because there are these strategic gateway cities all over the world. Matter of fact, that's why Gina and I years ago had moved to Madrid to work with Moroccans. We didn't move to Madrid to work with Spaniards. We moved to Madrid to work with Moroccans. And so the Vances are doing much the same thing. As they go to Queens, Jackson Heights, over, what is it, over 120 nations, right? Over 120 nations in this area, people who have immigrated, who are in what we call diaspora, diaspora, somebody can correct me later, to reach the world. That's the point, that this is about reaching people who are accessible to us, with the hope and the goal that they will then bring the gospel back to their own family who lives in their home nation, whether they do that by moving back or through digital means or through visiting family and sharing with them what they have learned. And so what I wanted to comment on today is how did the Vances get to this point? How did the Vances get to the point where they are going to leave this Look out, everybody can look out for a second. They're going to leave all that and they're going to move to something that doesn't look like that in Queens. All right? I know some of you guys have seen Coming to America. That's why he moved to Queens. But this isn't what it looks like, okay? So, how did they get there? Well, you know, um, for those of you who have been followers of Jesus, been reading the word, following him, trying to be to become more acquainted with him, seeking his face, you know that there are times in your spiritual life when certain passages of scripture grip your heart and you cannot let them go. Now, that's different for everybody. It really is different for everyone. That different people have different passages of scripture grip their hearts. And I wanted to share with you some of those passages that have gripped the heart of the Vance family. And I know that they've been gripped by these verses, not because they, I talked with them this week and I said, hey, what verses are near and dear to you, but because I know them well enough and I've spent enough time with them that I know their heartbeat. And I know their heartbeat well because it is the same heartbeat of Revolve. For those of you who are visiting Revolve, this is a perfect Sunday for you to be here because this is what Revolve always has been about. It's always been about this. And their heartbeat, as well as Revolve's heartbeat, is to reach unreached people groups. And what's an unreached people group? An unreached people group is not somebody who doesn't know Jesus. 
An unreached people group is a group of people who do not have a self-propagating movement of the gospel, churches that are planting churches, within their own context. In other words, if someone doesn't go to them, they have no access for a self-sustaining movement of the gospel. In many cases, unless, they, unless someone goes, they simply stated, won't hear, period. And so what verses have gripped them? Well, first is Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, this is the uh, Apostle John, Jesus' best friend, having this vision on the island of Patmos, and this is what he says he sees in chapter 7. He says, after this, I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number. I want you to close your eyes for a minute and try to picture this. There was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, from all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. See, that's the eventual end vision of all things. God's people from every tongue and tribe and nation worshiping Him, following the King, this new kingdom that is formed, not a kingdom built upon ethnicity or region of the world, but a kingdom that is built of people who have been reborn from every family on earth. I also know what's near and dear to the Vance family is Acts 19, 8 to 10. Speaking of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a terrorist, who became a follower of Jesus, he wrote about half of the New Testament. You can read all about his missionary journeys beginning in Acts chapter 9 through the end of the book of Acts. And in Acts 19, we see it says Paul entered the synagogue. See, that's where Paul always began. He would begin in these spiritual places like the synagogue. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when they became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, which is what they called followers of Jesus back then, before the congregation, he withdrew from them, he took the disciples with him, and he continued reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. See, Paul's goal was not to become a megachurch. Paul's goal was to share. He says that we know his goal because he told us his goal in 2 Timothy 2, 2, when he told Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will in turn teach others to do the same. That was Paul's strategy. That was Paul's way that he operated so that one day Revelation 7, 9 to 10 would come to fruition. And that's what we see Paul doing here in Acts chapter 19 because it says all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Not because everybody in Asia took turns coming to the hall of Tyrannus because whatever Paul was saying was being passed on in the villages and the farm communities and along the highways and byways. 
Paul labored in this region until there was no place left for him to work. That's what he says in Romans 15:23. He says, I no longer have any work in these regions. I want you to imagine that kind of perspective. This is Paul's perspective. He's saying, I have no more work to do. Now, does that mean that every single person in the province of Asia was surrendered to King Jesus? Of course not. But what it meant was there was a self-propagating work of the gospel, disciples making disciples, churches planting churches, where Paul felt as though he could leave Asia and he could go all the way west to Rome and then on to Spain where there was no work yet being done. See, many of you, some of you, none of you, I don't know, you wouldn't tell me probably, um, don't understand why the Vances would go. And you'd say, you know, there's lots of people in Cape May County who don't know Jesus. There's lots of people on my block who don't know Jesus. Well, it's a good thing Jesus put you there. And so there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus in our own backyard. Why would the Vances leave? Well, simply stated, well, because you're here. Because we're here. There's still work to be done, but luckily there are also workers here who are ready and willing to do the work. This is not the case among 120 plus nations in New York City, let alone the rest of the world. See, what I want you to realize is this. The missionary-minded person is gripped by these realities. If you knew me before I was a believer, you can talk to my parents, they're here. They would tell you unequivocally that I had no interest in the globe. The only thing I was interested in was video games, okay? That's all. That's what I was interested in, video games, maybe some video games, I don't know. I wasn't gripped by the world. You see, because the missionary person is not fascinated with culture or intrigued by cuisine or feeling like they're missing out if they don't see all the sights and sounds of various places of their world. That's not the heartbeat of the missionary-minded person. The missionary-minded person is not worried about what happens if they go to so-and-so city far away and they don't see that wonder of the world. The missionary-minded person doesn't care about tourist traps. The missionary-minded person is concerned with the billions of men, women, and children who will live and die without ever hearing that there is a God who loves them who gave himself for them, who rose from the grave so that they could live forever, who sent his Holy Spirit so they could follow him as king, and who is coming again to judge the quick and the dead. That's the heartbeat of the missionary-minded individual. And some people don't get that. And so the goal is Revelation 7, 9 to 10. The goal is no place left. The goal is that we would have all the people of so-and-so hear the word of the Lord. But how do you do that? How do you reach the masses? Do you build like a big shiny building and attract people to come? 
Maybe you woo people with gifts and money and soothing words. Maybe you stand on the corner with a bullhorn and just yell really loud. Of course, there's no silver bullet. And all of these things have worked in the past. But ultimately, this is spiritual work. And spiritual work is the Spirit's work. But God uses men and women in their obedience to accomplish his purposes. And we can look to the New Testament at patterns of ministry clearly seen in Jesus' life as well as the apostles. See, these patterns aren't anomalies. They seem to be much of the norm. And so what I want to share today, I share with you because what we are going to look at is what the Vances will be doing in New York City. What we are going to look at is what we teach in the hub. What we are going to look at is what David and I will be doing when we go to Greece. What we're going to look at is what our partners do in Southeast Asia. It's what our partners do in the Middle East. Everyone we partner with does this kind of work with a rare exception here and there. And so what do we see most clearly modeled in the New Testament? Well, Matthew 4, 23 to 24 says this. This is right after Jesus is done fasting and praying for 40 days. The enemy comes in and tempts him. He resists the temptation of the devil. The angels come and minister to him. And then immediately after that, this is what we see. Verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And so what do you see Jesus doing there? Jesus, after feasting on the word of God and the spirit of God and prayer for 40 days, he goes out from this deep place of dwelling with, abiding with the Father, and then he goes out into the region that the ministry that God has called him to, and he does three things. It says that he teaches in the synagogue, he proclaims in the, the gospel of the kingdom in the marketplace, and he heals those who are sick. I want you to lock those three things into your brain because at the end of the day, guys, it doesn't matter whether you have the newest building or whether you have the fanciest sound system or whatever it is. There's three things that you see throughout the Gospels and all the way into the end of the New Testament that God's apostles did. And it's they taught in the spiritual realm, they proclaimed in the marketplace, and they helped those in need. That's what they did. It's not rocket science. If someone is spiritually interested, you equip them. If someone has never heard, you proclaim. And if somebody is hurting, you help them. That's what Jesus did. And as he's gathering his disciples, right, he invites this guy and that guy and this, these brothers, and he's gathering people around him, and he's still doing the same exact thing. Now he's doing it with other people. And so Peter and James and John, and they're with him as he's going doing what three things? 
teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing those who are wounded. And then we get to Matthew 9, five chapters later, and this is what we see. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they didn't just have empty bellies, they had empty souls. They were deeply suffering, not just from poverty under the boot of Rome, but from gospel poverty. And Jesus felt it. Verse 37, then he turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, in the immediate verses, that's what Jesus does. In Matthew chapter 10, he sends out his 12 followers who are being developed. In Luke chapter 10, we see he sends out 72 as kind of like the second wave. The 12 are part of that group and then more. And what do you think Jesus is going to tell them to do, by the way? Well, this is what we see. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus gives them authority to do exactly what he's doing. He gives them authority to go out and do this work. Do you realize that if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus... You have the authority of Christ in you. That Jesus sent you out, that's called the Great Commission, 2,000 years ago in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. He sent out those other followers telling them to do the same. And so the authority of Christ continues, authenticated by the Spirit of Jesus, another name for the Holy Spirit, alive within all of his followers, and that continues with perpetuity that we were given the authority of Christ 2,000 years ago at the Great Commission, that you and I, as followers of Jesus, a priesthood of all believers, we have the authority to proclaim the truth of Jesus and to demonstrate the love of Jesus. And even if you don't miraculously heal someone, you can still bind a wound like the Good Samaritan did. You have authority because Jesus gave you his authority. We send the vances out, laying our hands on them and praying over them as a display of a commissioning, sending them out with authority that they go. But this is just representative for us because Jesus already commissioned them 2,000 years ago. And we are authenticating what the Holy Spirit is doing as the elders of Revolve saying, we see the commissioning of Christ upon you. We authenticate it, we agree with it, and we gladly support it. And so we, in submission to King Jesus, will send them out to teach, to proclaim, to heal, to love. That's what Matthew 10.1 is all about reinforced in Matthew 28. But Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 to 14. And this is what he says as he gives them their marching orders. He says, and proclaim as you go. In other words, going, proclaim. 
It's the same exact thing that Jesus says in Matthew 28 when he says, go and make disciples. But it's actually, as you go, disciple. As you go, he says, proclaim, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the king is here. Get ready. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And so from a bedrock of authority, Jesus tells them, go proclaim the kingdom, go and heal the hurting. Don't charge for these things. I freely gave to you, you freely give to another. And if you find someone who is open to receive what you have to say, don't keep on going, stop and spend time with them. If they're eager to embrace the message, stay with them, minister to them, develop them, teach them, proclaim truth to them. And if someone isn't interested, who cares? Keep on going. That's literally what Jesus said. Why? Because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. In other words, look for people who are open people who are ready, because not everyone is. In the hub, we call this looking for a person of peace, and it is the foundation of this kind of ministry. You see, the Vances will move into a new community. They will proclaim the kingdom. They will teach those who are spiritually engaged to equip them, and they will minister to the hurting all in the name of Jesus. And this is all with the hope and goal of finding someone who, quote, is worthy, a person of peace who can be equipped to go and disciple their family and their friends and their nation because you can't, but they can. This is what our partners do all over the world. This is what we send missionaries out to do. This is what we will do in Greece. Go, proclaim the kingdom, proclaim Jesus, teach those who are disciples willing to learn, minister to the hurting, all with the hope of finding a person of peace who will carry the gospel long after the Vances are gone, long after we are gone, long after Kevin is gone. And this is what Paul did. He would go into a new city, he'd proclaim the gospel, he'd teach the hungry, he'd minister to the hurting, he'd find a person of peace, he would develop them for a while, then he would develop them and coach them from afar so that he could keep establishing outposts in the gospel deeper and deeper and deeper into enemy territory until he could say, there's no more work for me to do. This is what the Vances are going to do by the grace of God. This is what we are going to do. This is what our partners are doing. And I implore you, this is what we should be doing in our own backyard. Go to work. Look for opportunities to proclaim, to teach, and to love. See, this is disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. 
And this is how the gospel spreads until Habakkuk 2.14 becomes a reality. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So rapid fire, what can you do for the Vances? And I'm going to say these things so they don't have to. Okay? Number one, they don't even know I'm saying this. If you are giving on your credit card, please switch it to an ACH deposit effective immediately because they had to write a check to International Projects credit card processor for $500 each month. They have to pay the credit card fees. So if you're giving on your credit card, we know it's convenient. Switch it to your ACH. That would be something you could do for the Vances. All right, now more spiritual stuff. Number two, pray and fast for them. This is what we're going to be talking about all next week. And so we're going to cover this more. Pray and fast for the Vances. Colossians chapter 4, 2 to 4 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so you pray for them. And I want to highlight a couple things from these verses. Be steadfast. That means don't give up. Be focused. That means don't do it while you're, you know, working or something like that. Be focused in it. Don't do it while you're half asleep. Pray for open doors. That's what Paul says. That's persons of peace. Pray for clarity and communication because the first seed in the parable of the sower, the seed is snatched away because the gospel was not clear. And five, have them remember that spiritual work requires spiritual tools. Third thing is this, encourage them. Encourage them. Fruit is slow. Finding a person of peace is like finding a needle in a haystack. The enemy is real. He seeks to devour. Fruit turns out to be rotten. Weeds take over. Division is a constant threat. Dissension is an enemy. Disunity and gossip destroy and the truth is there are more chances to be discouraged than encouraged in ministry. And so encourage them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another and build one another up as you're doing. Remember or remind them of truth. Remind them of the gospel. Remind them of their identity in Jesus. Love them well. So... Pray for them, encourage them, and hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. Jeez, these greenheads, they love me. <laughs> hold them accountable. Ready? Hold them accountable. Like if I could make eye contact with all of you. Hold them accountable to the word, not to your expectations. Yeah. Cheer for it. Hold them accountable to the word, not to your expectations. We are sending them to do a work, and we should encourage them to that end. Should we hold them accountable to it? Yes. But more importantly, we hold them accountable to God. We hold them accountable to obedience, not to fruit. 
We hold them accountable to God's expectations and requirements, not yours. You didn't purchase them if you agreed to support them. We hold them accountable to God. Do not burden them with, and do not burden their shoulders with the weight of your expectations. There will be enough on their shoulders. Instead, hold them accountable to please God and not man. Hold them accountable to faithfulness, not necessarily effectiveness. That's what it's always been. And for you, learn from their example. Because you can do the same work right here in Cape May County. Our Father, it has truly been a joy to get to know the Vances and to see them in action here at Revolve. We see their heart of, of dedication to you and their heart of service to your people. And it is with uh, a degree of sadness, yet at the same time a, a, a sense of joy and excitement that we send them in your name to Queens, Lord, to be an effective ministry uh, to your glory and to your honor. And so it is uh, our joy that a part of us effectively, Lord, is, is uh, moving to New York uh, to serve you and to uh, present your name, Lord, to a lost generation who is desperately in need of hearing good news. So be with them, encourage them, keep their eyes focused on you for your glory and honor. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, Lord, we just pray over them, um, also the, uh, the armor of God as they go. Lord, they're, they're taking on more spiritual responsibility in that they are um, increasing obedience to your calling to them to go to New York, to leave the comfort of home um, and the beauty of this wonderful church, Lord, that has been uh, a place of their service for so long. And so, Lord, the helmet of salvation, Lord, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, Lord, and feet ready to share the gospel, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we pray just safety for them as your enemy and, and everything will be fighting against them hard to discourage them early on uh, in this transition. Lord, we uh, just pray for peace in terms of any hiccups that may come in the move, Lord, any uh, difficulty in transitions, Lord, for the boys, Lord, for Micah and Isaiah, is this is, uh, I'm sure, uh, interesting and tough for them, Lord, and so we just do pray for them as well, Lord, to know that their parents love Jesus more than anything and that they will see that model and have that just instilled so deep in their hearts. Uh, Lord, that they will grow and want to love you more and more, that they will do more for the kingdom than even their parents can imagine of doing because of this move in obedience by Christian and Elena. And so, Lord, yeah, we love them much, and we pray for them, Lord, to help us keep them in our minds daily, Lord, and encourage them through text, through call, um, through making fun of Christian and missing his Vance pants. <laughs> oh, Father, it is... Uh feels very much like a parent sending out a child um, in the sense that you launch them out and uh, your heart goes with them. And so, Father, we know that our heart, uh, a piece of our heart goes out with them um, and it will not be the same without them. But, uh, Lord, that you've called them on to this, this work, uh, we, we can all attest to that. Father, we thank you for their heart. It has been such a joy and a privilege and an honor to watch them grow, to watch them minister here. Uh, to have them pour into my own sons. 
Father, it will be, uh, it w- they will be greatly missed. But Lord, we just pray for the, the joy that has uh, infused them. Lord, I just think of Christian's smile and how infectious that is. I pray, Lord, that you would bring the heart of joy that you have given him just to Queens and to all the nations through that. I pray that you would give them the gift of sight, Father, that they could see through the outer shells of people and into the heart where you are already working, that, Lord, their uh, seeds would fall on fertile ground. Um, Father, that the, the time that they spend there would just be fruitful, and whether it's, uh, it's fruitful on the surface and we see the blooms or whether it's years down the road, Lord, we know that they are faithful and their heart is faithful and their service is good. Um, so, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to, uh, to use them in a mighty way. Heavenly Father, is um, just thinking of Paul and his letters. Um, so many times in his letters to the churches, he, he expresses how he, how he longs to be uh, with his co-laborers and the joy that their work brings to his heart. Lord, and um, I just feel a similar prayer this morning as we, as we long to co-labor with the Vances as we've enjoyed this time together. Um, serving your church um, together, but um, Lord, we send them out and we pray for protection. Lord, we pray for uh, for patience. All these things that the other men have prayed, Lord, just um, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to kind of join with. Um, with Paul and the and the apostles in your word this, and the feelings that they feel that they long to be with one another but Lord we see the bigger calling we see the bigger picture and Lord we trust that you are sovereign and that you are preparing people right now for that neighborhood Lord as we were going and following with them as they were going from apartment to apartment Lord we know that there is there are people in that specific neighborhood that you are preparing um, for them to uh, reach, Lord, so they, um, we just pray that they go boldly, be strong and courageous, courageous, and know that you are um, going before them with your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. Father God, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you because for years we've talked about Revolve wanting to be a sending church. And we know that happens in various capacities, but as we send out this family to vocational ministry for the long term, God, Lord, we thank you that you have seen these dreams that you've put in our hearts birthed by the spirit you've seen these dreams come to fruition and we pray that you would do so more and more god let revolve be a church that if it never grows let it not be because people leave unequipped but let it be that they leave because they're equipped And Father God, I, all I can think about as I've wrestled with what to pray 
is Paul as he meets with the Ephesians elders as he's headed to Jerusalem. And everybody's wondering what they're going to do without Paul. And basically he says to them, we've spent years together. You have the word and you have the spirit. And truly there's nothing else you need. And so God, I thank you that these moments remind us of our powerlessness. That at the end of the day, the Vances have all that they need in Jesus. And it's not about revolve. The same way, it's not about all of these churches that we read about in the New Testament, which no longer are even there. It's about you. And so we commission the Vance family to the word of God, which is able to save their souls and equip them for every good work. And we commission them to the spirit, their helper, their, or the one who will hold them, their comforter, the one who will equip them, the one who will convict them in the world. And we ask, Father God, that with these spiritual tools, you would use them to do more than they could ask or imagine. And so, Lord, we thank you for them, and we hand them back over to you as our time of stewardship has finished. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know exactly what to say in a moment like this just because I'm I don't want to cry. <laughs> um, but really, thank you to each and every person here, uh, especially the elders. Uh, they have all made such a huge impact, not just on my life, but my family. And they have sharpened, they have equipped me um, and our family to go. Um, I also want to thank, you know who I want to thank? I want to thank Nick Lasser. Um, and the reason being is because when I, we were in Pennsylvania, we wanted to, we knew we needed to be connected to a body. This was in 2012 and we were somewhat new to faith. And growing up in Cape May, not as a believer, I didn't know where we were going to be connected. And he said, I know of a church that just planted. And I first met Bill uh, at a prayer meeting. It was him, Steve, Bonnie, and the Chernos. <laughs> and, and I think Gina, yep. And, um, and it was right then and there, I came home and I told Elena, this is going to be our church home. And that was in 2000. 2013 and um, God has just equipped us and given us such a love to reach the nations and Bill summed it up perfectly the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few and that's why we feel compelled to go um, we feel compelled to reach the people who've never heard the name Jesus so that they have a chance to hear this life-saving news of the gospel that they can go from eternal death to eternal life. 
And leaving everything is worth it. Leaving everything, leaving your comforts and security is worth it. And that's why we feel compelled to go. And so, Pastor Bill, thank you. The elders, thank you. Um, thank you to my wife that's willing to go. <laughs> um, and my kids. And uh, we're just so blessed and, and honored to be a part of a church family. While Bill said, yes, it is the word and the spirit that leads us, we also feel like we have an army behind us propelling us to move forward. And so thank you all. Thank you. <laughs>